Uh, Luke 15. This is a very familiar chapter in God's Word. Uh, a loved, a well-loved chapter. Um, a very poignant one. And we'll be in Luke 15 probably for the next uh, three weeks is the plan. Our family loves the Bonaire Library. Got some other friends who love the Bonaire Library in the back. We see them over there often. Uh, we love the Bonaire Library. We get lots of books. I've said before we we actually hit triple digits in books out from the Bonaire Library. We we went over a hundred, which was awesome. They were all in our house somewhere. That's the problem with getting lots of the problem with getting lots of books from the library is that you you might lose them, and that's happened to us. We've lost library books, and you can renew it three times. Um, and we've been there on the third renewal, saying, "Where is this library book? We can't find it anywhere." Um, and we're searching high and low. I mean, our house is not that big, but where could this book be? Um, and and sometimes in the midst of that search. I'll get a phone call from Andrea, and she'll say, guess what I found? <laughs> and she's found the book. Or we hear one of our children from one of the back rooms just, Mom, look what I found! And so they'll come out with the library book that we've been looking for, and it's like finding this lost treasure that we've been looking for. There's just this great joy and exuberance at, at finding this lost book. <laughs> it's a simple thing. In our passage today, Jesus is going to tell us two stories. We're going to focus in on two stories um, about things that were lost, things that were later found, and the rejoicing that ensues after these things are found. And the point of these stories is to talk about the, the joy of heaven in rescuing and saving lost sinners. And in showing that joy, God invites us to join Him in rejoicing over the rescuing of the lost. That's our big idea. God invites us to join Him in rejoicing over the rescuing of the lost. God invites us to join Him in rejoicing over the rescuing of the lost. We rejoice at many different things, don't we? There are countless things in life that bring us joy and happiness, but if we are in Christ, if we are followers of Jesus, then it would be good for us to seek to align our joy, what brings us happiness and excitement, with what God rejoices in. We should rejoice in what He rejoices in. Doesn't that make sense? So here we're going to, to see that not only does God rejoice in the rescuing of the lost, but He invites us to not only join Him in rejoicing over the rescuing of the lost, but actually to be an agent of causing God to rejoice in the rescuing of the lost. And we're going to move towards that idea. We're going to study verses 1 through 10 this morning, but I'm going to read all of Luke 15. There are three parables, often said to be the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal or the, the lost son. And we can, those names are helpful as far as they go, but we'll, we'll think about those differently as well. But all these tie together. In fact, if I was just going to preach one sermon and then I knew I wasn't going to be here next Sunday, which maybe I won't, but I'm planning to be here next Sunday, and so we're going to take three weeks to go through this chapter. But if not, I would preach this all as, as one sermon, because I think these all tie together. And so um, that works, but I also think it's helpful for us to, to go a little bit more slowly through them, because there's just a lot, there's richness in these verses. So join me. I'm going to look in your, if you look in your Bible, I'm going to read Luke chapter 15. Verses 1 through 32. 
Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Then he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come, came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus, what a storyteller. Can you imagine being there that day to hear him say those parables for the first time? Astonishing. 
A major key to unlocking this passage, I think, is found in verse 3. It says there, so he told them this parable. My translation has this little word, so. Whether or not you have that word in your translation or not, it's not a problem. But the point is that verse 3 is the bridge between verses 1 and 2 and verses 4 through 32. Uh, what it's saying is that th- what's in verses 1 and 2 is is the spark that ignites in Jesus the desire to tell these three parables. So the source of the parables is found in verses 1 and 2. So what do we see in verses 1 and 2? The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So we see what we've seen very often in Luke. We see the tax collectors and the sinners, this group, coming to Jesus. Those that are sinful, those that are outcasts of society, those that are looked down on by the religious elite, they are all coming to Jesus. And the religious leaders, the elites of of that day, are saying, we don't like that Jesus is letting these sinners and tax collectors come to him. And they are grumbling about it. And, And so... All throughout these these parables, Jesus is speaking to these two groups. One thing that he's saying to the tax collectors and sinners is this idea that he makes it clear that God the Father loves repentant sinners. He loves sinners that will turn and come to him, and his heart is to seek out those who have rebelled against him. But another major part of what he's saying here, and I think that these parables are all pushing towards that story of the elder son at the end that sometimes we cut off, but is possibly Jesus' main point. Because the Pharisees are grumbling that Jesus is drawing sinners in. And Jesus is saying, this is the heart of the Father, and He is calling us into the party. He's saying what He says to the older son. Come in. Rejoice with us. Celebrate with us. I think that's probably the main point of the entire passage, and I think it deserves some time to think about it, that that Jesus is inviting us into this party that God is throwing at the repentance of sinners. There's this call to rejoice in what God is rejoicing in. The two stories that we see here at the beginning in verses uh, 1 through 10 are, are very simple. In both, you have something that is lost, There's a sheep and then a coin. Uh, In in both, uh, the person who who has lost this thing goes searching for it even though uh, he or she already possesses a lot of them. So the man still has 99 sheep um, and the woman still has 9 coins, but they go looking for this lost item. Um, In both, the lost item is found. And in both, after the lost thing is found, there is rejoicing and celebration. Taken together, I, I think that we can learn something about um, just a few different areas. We're going to learn something about how God accomplishes salvation, uh, learn something about what God rejoices in, and then also the invitation that God offers to us out of this. So in regards to the, the way that God accomplishes salvation, let's just think it around, around these, this simple phrase, God rescues the lost. God rescues the lost. This is, again, about how God accomplishes salvation, how he saves lost sinners. I read this week about a Boy Scout troop 
um, that became lost while they were on a canoe trip near the Colorado River in Arizona somewhere. So there were 28 Boy Scouts and four chaperones, and at some point they took a wrong turn in this river and ended up in a section that was filled with reeds and could not figure out how to get out of this place. And someone that had had contact with them realized that they were not getting contact with these um, these Boy Scouts and their chaperones, and so they called the local authorities, and the Marines showed up in a helicopter. <laughs> That's one way to have an exciting Boy Scout trip, isn't it? I think that might be better than any canoe trip you could have, is have the Marines show up in a, in a helicopter. Uh, but I think this is just an example. I, I, I went looking for this story because there's always stories about those that get lost and the great lengths that people go to to find those that are lost. Search parties as people are, are lost in the mountains somewhere. And, and in these parables, we get this glimpse of how God saves us, that God is about rescuing the lost. Let me give you four phrases just to think about as we think about how God rescues the lost. First, Jesus has been sent on a rescue mission. Jesus has been sent on a rescue mission. Jesus is the Marines in this story, right? He, he is, he is the, uh, the, the one who has been sent. The Father sends the Son to be the Savior, to be the rescuer of the world. Just as the, as the shepherd went out onto the hills to find his sheep, just as the woman searched diligently to find this this coin, Jesus has come to seek those who have wandered from him, those that are lost and helpless. And that's all of us. Everyone has wandered in some way from God. Isaiah 53.6 says it like this, All we like sheep, this picture of sheep again, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned how many? Every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of us all. We are all lost sheep. And so Jesus has been sent on a rescue mission to find lost sheep. Think about this this word lost, this lost condition. So we think first that Jesus has been sent on a rescue mission. We're thinking about how God rescues the lost. Jesus has been sent on this rescue mission. Second, think about this. If Jesus does not seek sinners, they will be lost forever. If Jesus does not seek sinners, they will be lost forever. I don't know what would have happened to these 28 scouts. Would they have been lost forever? I sure hope not. But we know that feeling. Have you ever been lost? Maybe you have a memory as a child of getting lost and you got separated from your parents and you have no idea where they were, or maybe you were driving in an unfamiliar place before the days of GPS, and you had no clue where you were, and you had no idea how to get out of that place. Or maybe you were in the woods. I can remember getting lost in some woods near a camp that I worked at, and we just wandered around until we finally hit a road, and then started walking down the road because we recognized that. We've all had that feeling, though, haven't we, of, of being lost, and you don't know where to go. In these parables, both the the lost sheep and and the coin, they are doomed. They are doomed if if there is no rescue mission. This sheep is is foolish. It is clueless about where to go. And he's surrounded by danger. If if he doesn't die from starvation first, then he's going to die from a lion or some other predator that's going to come and get him. He is hopeless. And the coin, well, it's it's just going to lay there, right? This coin is lost. It can do nothing to save itself, to, to have itself be found. 
We are said in the passage that we read, we are like these wandering sheep. Sin and Satan threaten to devour us. We are helplessly and hopelessly lost in the hills of sin. We have all rebelled. We have all wandered from God. We have all displeased Him with our thoughts and with our actions. And we are, we are in trouble. We are lifeless like this dead coin. Scripture tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead people don't do anything. They are in a condition that there is no hope for them. We are unable to make any move towards God. Romans 3, 10-12 says this, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. In our sins, we do not seek God. No one seeks God in sin. And so today, if you're here, and if you are seeking for God, you're seeking maybe to be rescued by God, the only reason you're doing that is because God is seeking you. And God is drawing you. In and of ourselves, we will not come to God. There, there is only one seeker. Maybe you've heard that word. There's only one seeker in this world, and it is God. God is the one that is seeking out people. He is drawing us to Himself. And if Jesus does not seek sinners, they will be lost forever. But Jesus has been sent on a rescue mission. He has been sent on this mission. And the third thing we can see is that Jesus will seek diligently until He finds. Jesus will seek diligently until He finds. I love my children. But when they look for things, they often give up a little too easily. If we've lost something in the house, and they say, I can't find it. Did you look? Yeah. And so... Searching is, is a learned skill. And so I get down on the floor and I say, this is how you look for things. You know, you got to look underneath the bed. You need to pick up the clothes that are on the floor. You need to dig through certain areas. And I'm trying to instruct them. This is how you search for things. And I think what they're learning is that if I say that I look, then Dad will come and he'll do all the searching for me. And so, it, you know, they'll just let me crawl around a little bit. No, they're, they're learning. They're learning. In these parables, we see those that are that are searching. They're not nonchalant in their effort. They're not they're not passive. The the man who is who is going out to find the sheep. Can you imagine what that would be like? Where should he start? Which direction did the sheep go? Where where do I go? How do I find this sheep? The, the woman in the coin is especially seen to be diligent. She she's got a lamp in one hand and a broom in the other, and she's looking everywhere for this coin where the parable maybe breaks down a little bit is that Jesus is not unaware of our location Jesus knows where we are but he, it also is something where Jesus is going to bend every effort to find us it's going to take everything from Jesus to find us it's going to take the God of the universe becoming a baby that's how this rescue mission starts. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take the incarnation itself for God to rescue us. It's going to take this perfect sinless life that Jesus needs to live. It's, it's going to take being rejected by his own people. It's going to take being beaten and being mocked and being spit at 
and eventually being killed on a cross. It's going to take a resurrection from the dead to accomplish this rescue mission. So Jesus knows where we are, but that doesn't mean it's not going to take a lot of effort for him to find us. Jesus searches for us diligently. And get this, he searches for us at the cost of his own life. That's how much he wants to find us. He searches for us at the cost of his own life. John 10:11 says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what it takes to rescue the sheep. A woman named Elizabeth, I think her last name is pronounced Clefane, wrote a poem that's rooted in this passage. It's a, it's a poem that a man named Ira Sankey set to music. Ira Sankey was the song leader for a man named Dio Moody, who was a famous evangelist um, in the mid to late 1800s. And he would have these evangelistic events, and they would often sing this song uh, that, that Sankey had set uh, Elizabeth's uh, poem to music. It was called the, it's called the 90 and 9. Um, and you should check it out. But one of the, two of the verses go like this, just thinking about this idea that Jesus will diligently seek us out. It says, but none of the ransomed ever knew, none of the ransomed, those that were bought, those that were sought for, none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night the Lord passed through, ere he found his sheep that was lost. Out in the desert he heard its cry, t'was sick and helpless and ready to die. And then there's questions that are asked, Lord, whence are those blood drops all the way that mark out the mountain track? They were shed for one who had gone astray, ere the shepherd could bring him back. Lord, whence are thy hands so rent and torn? They're pierced tonight by many a thorn. Jesus will search us out diligently. He will search us at the cost of his own life, of his own blood. Notice finally in this idea of Jesus, of God rescuing sinners that Jesus always finds his sheep. Jesus always finds his sheep. Maybe you've heard the, the motto of the Canadian Mounted Police. They always get their man. Which actually I looked up and is not really their motto, but some people think it is. But Jesus always finds his sheep. There is never a failed rescue mission. Now there are sheep who continue to wander. But if they continue to wander then they and they don't return to the fold, then they are not of Christ's fold. This is what John uh, six thirty seven through 39 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Those that Jesus is seeking, he will find. There is no lost sheep There is no lost coin that he is looking for that he will not find. He always finds what he's looking for. And when they are found, there is rejoicing. that's, That's the main idea, this idea of rejoicing. It's key to this chapter. So what is God rejoicing in? It's seen in these verses, verse 7, Just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then again in verse 10, Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner 
who repents. What does God rejoice in? Let me give you two phrases for what He rejoices in. Rejoices and doesn't rejoice in, okay? God does not rejoice in sinners, but in sinners who repent. God does not rejoice in sinners, but in sinners who repent. We've got to be careful here. Jesus is not rejoicing in sin. We find Him, He's eating with tax collectors and sinners and they are rejoicing with them, but the point is not here that Jesus rejoices in sin. There are some who would say that in the name of Jesus, is Jesus being full of love and, and compassion, they've made it seem as if Jesus turns a, a blind eye towards sin, or, or that he ignores sin, or even that he is okay with sin because he is a God of love, and he is a God of love. And there certainly is a sense in which Jesus loves sinners. God so loved the world that He sent His Son. Love for lost sheep and lost coins and lost sons is part of the motivation for God even sending Jesus on this rescue mission. But the rejoicing here in these verses is over sinners who repent. So so God is seeking those who are lost and, and in rebellion, and He rejoices when they turn from sin and turn to Him when they forsake sin and they trust in Jesus. Jesus does not rejoice in lost sheep or lost coins that remain lost. He does not rejoice in that. He doesn't rejoice in sinners who continue to sin. Rather, He is lovingly calling people to come to Him. He is seeking them out. He is calling those who have wandered to turn from sin and to turn to Him. And when a sinner is found, there is rejoicing. Jesus rejoices. He rejoices that this person that was made to worship Him has now returned back to the fold to to live in the way that He was created to. All of heaven rejoices, it says. Some say that that it's over the angels that rejoice. I think that the angels are rejoicing, but I think that God is the source of that joy. Uh, Let me give you it as Charles Spurgeon has put it very poetically. He says, we often say that the angels, uh, we often say of the angels that they rejoice over one sinner that repents. I doubt not that they do, but the Bible does not say so. (laughs) The Bible says there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. What means the presence of the angels? Why, that the angels see the joy of Christ when sinners repent. Hear them, hear the angels say to one another, Behold the Father's face, how He rejoices. Gaze on the countenance of the Son, what a heaven of delight shines in those eyes of His. Jesus wept for these sinners, but now He rejoices over them. Isn't that a great picture? It's not the angels, it's God Himself who rejoices over sinners. The fact that God rejoices over sinners who repent is set in contrast to those who are righteous or those who need no repentance. So so we said God does not rejoice uh, in sinners, but in sinners who repent. Let's say this, God rejoices in the righteous, but not in self-righteousness. God rejoices in the righteous, but not in self-righteousness. So in this passage, in in verse 7, those who repent are set in contrast to the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Who are these folks? I think it could be the Pharisees. It could mean that they think they are righteous and don't need to repent, which is not true. 
And God does not rejoice in that kind of self-righteousness that says we don't need to repent. Or it could be that God is saying that he rejoices in rescuing sinners more than in the gathering, the ingathering of those that are already righteous, this group that is already rescued. Now, for those of us who may already be rescued, that you say, well, you mean God's not rejoicing in me? There is a sense in which, though, God has to rejoice in righteousness, right? He's a righteous God. He calls us to be holy. He rejoices, in a sense, in these 99 righteous people. He calls us. John 4 says that the Father is seeking worshipers. So if He's seeking worshipers, and we come to Christ and become worshipers, well, God, ha- God is pleased with that. God is pleased with the gathering here of what we might call the 99 righteous persons. Okay, For those of you who are believers, this gathering of us who are His children. Though there's not 99, that's okay. However many are here, right? But I think the point is, is focusing on God's heart. That God's heart, especially now, in this moment of time and history, God is seeking out lost sheep and lost coins. That's what his great desire is. And he rejoices at those who have come in. But his heart is, is seeking, is, is looking for those who are lost. And while he is pleased with the righteous and he receives glory and joy when we walk with him, his, his joy overflows when lost sheep and lost coins, when sinners are found. He rejoices in the righteous. He doesn't rejoice in self-righteousness. And I think he especially rejoices when a sinner is found and comes to him. So in light of these ways that God rejoices, think finally with me about this, that God invites us to rejoice with him. There's an invitation here. God invites us to rejoice with him. So you remember those two groups from verses 1 and 2? Tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees, the religious elite, the scribes. How do you think they were hearing these words? I think there's probably a couple different groups. The tax collectors and the sinners are are rejoicing that, that this is the heart of the Father towards us, that, that He's seeking us out, that He loves us, that He rejoices over us, turning in repentance to Him, rejoices that they are being rescued. What about the Pharisees, though? How are they responding? I think surely some of them began to see God's heart. I would hope that they began to see that this was His desire, that they're reshaping their minds about how God works, that He is seeking out those that are lost, but others would have hardened their hearts. And I think that's why Jesus then probably moves into this parable of the the prodigal son with the elder brother at the end. He has a word for those Pharisees that say, and we're not with you. We don't rejoice in the same thing, Jesus. But the, the preview is here, and it's, it's this. Just two thoughts. We're invited to rejoice with our Father, and we're invited to be a part of causing God to rejoice. So we are, we are invited in. So these, these folk come back after finding their things, and they say, Rejoice with me. Come, come to my house. This thing that I've valued so much has been found, and I want you to share in the joy that I have at having found this. God rejoices in the salvation of one sinner who repents. 
And he invites us to join in the rejoicing, to be thrilled at all who come to Jesus, whether they are poor and lame, crippled and blind, whether they are something else that that we have prejudice against as the Pharisees did, someone that we say, well, let's wait and see if they really are repentant. You know, that person was pretty bad. I don't know if I'm ready to receive them and to rejoice over their repentance. There are groups of people, there are individuals that we maybe have a hard time rejoicing in their salvation, but, but Jesus is here showing us that we should be thrilled when any lost sheep returns. When anyone comes to the Father, we should rejoice in that. We are invited to share in that rejoicing. But then amazingly, I think, we are called to be part of causing God to rejoice. I like making people happy. I mean, who doesn't, right? To, to bring joy to people, whether you know you tell a, a great story and they like it, or a joke that makes them laugh, or you give them a gift and it and it makes them smile. We love doing that. We love to make other people happy. But what if you could make God rejoice? What if you could make God sing and, and throw a party in heaven? What if you could trigger that kind of joy? among the angels. I think the point in part of this passage is that we can. That we are invited to be a part of God's rescue mission. We're invited, as it were, to be a part of the search party. You're allowed to take to the hills with Jesus. You can sweep the corners. If you'd rather say it this way, you can get on the Marines' helicopter. (laughs) Maybe that sounds more fun to you. And, And go looking for those that are lost. To, to seek sinners that are wandering from Jesus. Because we have to be a part of this. This is what we are called into. That, that in fact, the way that, that Jesus seeks those who are lost is through those who have been found. That if we are found, it is now our job to go look for more people that are lost. Paul asks a series of questions related to this in Romans chapter 10. Let me read these verses for you. Romans 10. He says um, in verse 13, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he asks a question in verse 14. How then will they call on him and whom have they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have to hear. People have to hear this message. They're lost, they're wandering, and and they will not be found unless someone goes out and looks for them. And Jesus is seeking out people. But the means that he uses to seek the lost are those that have been found by him already. Someone sought you. Someone came looking for you. Someone told the gospel to you. And that was the means that God used to draw you and He was seeking you, but He sought you through an individual, through a a word from someone, through a sermon that was preached, through a co-worker. That's how you were found. And now He sends us out to be a part of that. We have friends, we have neighbors, we have family members that we should be seeking. We have co-workers that we rub shoulders with every day. And when we go into work, we need to go and we need to work for God, but we also need to go in thinking, I'm on a rescue mission today. 
There's some people that are lost and they will not be found unless I start talking to them and tell them the good news of what Jesus has done. There's people that we bump into on a daily basis that you had no intention of ever talking to before. And God might be opening the door for you to speak to them. If you would just think when you wake up in the morning, I'm on a rescue mission today, climbing in the helicopter, and we're looking for people. we got to find these lost people. They're out there somewhere. And I don't know where they are, but when we find them, we got to tell them that Jesus has come to bring salvation. There's so many ways to do this. I never really tell you to do this, but I'd encourage you, invite someone to come with you next Sunday. We're going to be in Luke 15 with the prodigal son about this son who wanders from God and the heart of the father where he draws him back in in love. There may be someone you know that needs to hear that message. I promise you I will make the gospel clear. Now that's not evangelism is not inviting people to church. I want to make that distinction. But it is part of evangelism. We need to all be sharing the gospel, but there may be someone that you think they would come and they would listen to that. And that might spark a conversation that you could have with them over lunch next Sunday. Be looking for that person. Seek them out and say, you know what, I think that God might have a message for you this Sunday. Would you come and and hear about the Father's love for you, about how He is seeking you out? Jesus is seeking. He talks again in, in, in John 10. I'd encourage you, if you have time this afternoon and you'd like to, you can read John 10 about that Jesus as, as the shepherd. But he says in John 10:14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And verse 16, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock. And one shepherd. We're invited into this. We, we want to rejoice in sinners being saved, but we also get to be a part of causing God to rejoice, causing our own hearts to rejoice by being a part of the rescue mission. Because Jesus has been sent on this rescue mission, and He brings us along with Him. And the lost will not be found if we do not seek them. We have to seek after those that are lost. And we do it because we know there is hope for them to be found because Jesus has gone to great lengths. He's been diligent to, to find them. He's done it at the cost of His own life. And so we too should be diligent. We should seek diligently. We should work hard. We should lay down our lives so that people might be found. And we can do it in the confidence that Jesus never loses one sheep that He is supposed to find. If they are supposed to be found by Him, we can go in confidence. We can say the gospel clearly and trust that if they are one of His sheep, they will come into the fold. If we are clear, we have been faithful in what we are supposed to do, and God will take care of the rest. So, again, God invites us to join Him in rejoicing over the rescuing of the lost. Let let me just leave you with three simple thoughts. If you are away from Christ, if you're here this morning and you think, I am a lost sheep, I've never turned in repentance, I've never turned from sin, I've never trusted in Christ alone for my salvation, I'm trusting in good works, I'm trusting in who I am, I'm trusting in the faith of my parents, I'm trusting in the fact that I'm at church today, I'm trusting in all these other things, I'm not trusting in what Jesus has done by by living the perfect life and then dying to pay the price for my sin. 
If, if that's you, then I want to encourage you. Jesus is seeking you. Jesus is on the hills diligently looking for you. And if you're here today, He is drawing you. He wants you to come to Him to find salvation. He's looking for you. And one of us here would love to help you see how you can put your faith in Him and know what salvation is. Jesus is seeking you. The second thing I would say to those of us who have been found, just this thought, that Jesus rejoices over you. Jesus rejoices over us. That we have come in repentance to Him. Life is is lived in constant repentance. Repentance is not a one-time thing, but we are always repenting and always coming back to God in different ways, smaller, but in the same way we are coming to Him. God rejoices over us. These great words of Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God sings over you if you have come to Him in faith. He loves you. He rejoices over you. And finally, just again, Jesus invites us to join in His rejoicing and to cause His rejoicing. Let's rejoice in what the Father rejoices in. And let's bend every effort. Let's be diligent. Let's go on the hills, to the highways, to the hedges. Let's sweep all the corners that we can with the goal of causing our Father's heart to rise with joy. That there would be joy in the presence of the angels because lost sinners are found. Let's do it in His strength and for His glory. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on God's Word and then I will close us in prayer. Lord Jesus, we give You all praise. Salvation from beginning to end is all of grace, and it's all of you. We are like dead coins, lying, lost, and we would not be found by anyone except that you have come at the cost of your own life and sought us out. Lord, fill our hearts with joy at that. And Lord, as you fill our hearts with joy that you have saved us, fill our hearts with joy that you save others. And then, Lord, fill us with a a desire to be like you, to lay down our lives for those that are lost. Lord, let us leave this place with an attitude of of being on a rescue mission, of searching low and high, of diligently trying to find those that need you. Lord, work that in us. We are scared. But let us do it with joy. Lord, I pray that we would return next Sunday with stories. Stories of how you are drawing people. Stories of how you are using us to draw them in. Lord, may there be rejoicing. I pray for our church, God. I pray that soon we would rejoice over the clear salvation of someone who is lost. That we would, And we would know how to rejoice well at that. Lord, that's something only you can do. And so we ask that you would. But Lord, we will, we will do whatever you ask us to do to be a part of it. And we pray all this in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.